0: Welcome back, Hemming Faces, to the Hemming Faces list podcast of excellence. We're talking about Book 2, Chapter 10. Do you think this is an accurate portrayal of war, and what does it mean for those who are making difficult decisions during war? These discussion prompts, as per the norm, are from user 7 of 9. What do you think Tolstoy was saying about our reactions to things and how we fit into the wider world? I also thought I'd throw in this little line comparison because I was pretty proud of my Aussie version. I couldn't figure out what the Maud version was on about. And it seems that also P and V couldn't figure out what Maud was on about. Um, But with the help of this subreddit, we were able to decipher it using an old thread from someone else asking the same question uh, last year or the year before. And so I'm really happy about that. Maud said this, this is the line that I couldn't figure out. Maud said, Even I, a poor secretary of the Russian embassy, do not feel any need in token of my joy to give my friends a thaler or let him go to the lichpin for a praetor. To the praetor, true, we have no praetor here. I had no idea what any of that meant. P and V seemed to not know either, because their translation was this Nor do I, a miserable secretary of the Russian embassy, feel any particular joy and I just trimmed the rest off. Um, we were able to figure out that Franz is referring to not the emperor, but, or, and not the currency, but to his servant is named Franz. Um, a thaler is a, t- is like a dollar, you know, it's a bit of money. Um, the, uh, a leechbin is like his sweetheart and a praetor is like a, a fair, you know, um, There we go. Andrew Lewis' translation goes like this. I mean, I'm just a lowly secretary of the Russian embassy, but even I don't feel the need to give my servant Franz a raise and a day off to take his sweetheart to the fair, not that we have a fair here. Um, And I I was really proud of that because I just was able to make it make sense, and I love being able to do that. Four Lost Souls in a Bowl said, um, "Dunigan, who usually is pretty close to Maud, couldn't understand it either and went the V route with this line. Now oh, there you go, they just snipped it off as well. Angel of Alchi said, I like the contrast of perspective between one soldier and one diplomat, one that is more or less only focused on his battle and one that is seeing a, the bigger picture. None of them are wrong, in my opinion. However, Andre's perspective is a little limited and he feels as he pretty much just won the war altogether and the diplomat cares little for one victory because to him the overall all is a lot more grimmer kenji and carboy said i think everyone rich or poor has to give the Frans a thaler every now and then wise words twisted every way says i'm sorry bilibin sounds like a character from lord of the rings andrew thinks he's going to get a better reception from a fellow russian and instead he's knocked down even another peg their little victory is nothing to Vienna being taken. Considering how long news takes to travel in those days, it's a wonder that any kind of organized war campaign could take place. Um, and uh, who else we got here? Acoustic Eels says, I have a location question that I think I answered but wanted to confirm with anyone who knows. They say that the Austrian government moved from Vienna to a place called Brunn. Wikipedia says that Brun means well or spring in German and is used as a genetic generic place name, component for many German towns' names. The first place I found called Brun am Gibridge, which was just a few miles outside of Vienna. It's actually a bit closer to France, so that's hardly a safe place. It seems like the Brun we're talking about is Bruno, present-day Chechnya, which is also called Brunn in German. Do I have that right? Yes, it is. It's that one. It's spelled B-R-N-O. Good question, though. Good to get the logistics down. Violterra said, I feel that Tolstoy gives us a holistic picture of war, more so than most authors, from the horny, bootless foot soldiers to the calculations of the diplomats and politicians to maximise wins slash gains and minimise losses. The fact that Tolstoy goes out of his way to describe us everything makes Billabin scuffing." of the one Russian victory more painful and Kutuzov's decision more heartbreaking. Alright, let's keep reading, keep moving. Chapter 11 goes like this. He had a nice sleep-in next morning. His first thought was that he had to be present presented to Emperor Francis today. And then he replayed some recent happenings in his head. The dickhead Minister of War and his overly polite Austrian adjutant, Billibin, and their conversation last night. He dressed in his full parade uniform for his attendance at court, which he hadn't worn for ages, and went into Billibin's study, fresh, lively, and handsome, with his hand bandaged. In the study, there were four gentlemen of the diplomatic corps. He already knew one of them, Prince Ippolit Kuragin, who was a secretary to the embassy. Billibin introduced him to the others. These wealthy young society scallywags were Billibin's lads. He called them Lenotres. As head scallywag, he'd been their leader here and in Vienna. Billibin's lads were mostly diplomats, but they were concerned with issues more pressing than war or politics, such as high society gossip, issue, uh, sorry, women, and the official side of the service. The lads welcomed Prince Andre as one of their own, an honor they did not extend to many. They asked him about the army and the battle out of politeness and then went straight into talking shit and gossiping. And the best bit, though, said one, talking about a fellow diplomat who'd gotten himself in strife, that the Chancellor told him flat out that his appointment to London was a promotion. Imagine the look on his face. But that's not the worst bit, and I'm throwing Caragin in the deep end here, but while that man suffers, this Don John, this sick bastard, is taking advantage of it. Prince Ippolit, was sprawled in a lounge chair his legs sticking out over the arm he started laughing tell me about it he said oh you sick bastard you snake cried several voices you have no idea Bolkonsky said Bilbin turning to Prince Andre all the atrocities of the French army I nearly said Russian army they're nothing compared to what this sick fuck has been up to with the women la femme est le compagne des hommes woman is man's companion announced Prince Ippolit, and began looking through a lorgnette at his elevated legs. Billabin and the rest of his lads burst out laughing in Ippolit's face, and Prince Andrei saw that Ippolit, who, if he was really honest with himself, had almost made him jealous on his wife's account, was the village idiot amongst these lads. "'I've got a real treat for you,' Billabin whispered to Bolkonsky. "'Kuragin is a genius when he discusses politics. You've got to see his immense brain in action.' He took a seat beside Ippolit and wrinkled his forehead, then started talking politics. Prince Andre and the lads gathered around them. The Berlin cabinet. F- the Berlin. Oh, the Berlin cabinet fucking can't express alliances and shit, began Ippolit, gazing at the lads with importance. Without, like, expression, you know, like their last note, you know? Fucking, like, unless His Majesty the Emperor bails on the principle of the alliance. Wait, I'm not finished, cunt. "'he said to Prince Andre, seizing him by the arm, "'I reckon intervention is stronger than not intervention. "'And,' he paused, "'also you can't, like, impute the fucking non-receipt of our dispatch on November 18. "'That's how it'll end.' "'And he released Bolkonski's arm to indicate that he was finished. "'Demosthenes, I know thee by the secret pebble in thy golden mouth,' said Bilobin. "'And the mop of hair on his head moved with satisfaction.' They all laughed, Ippolit loudest of all. He was evidently upset, but couldn't help but laugh wildly from his dipshit expressionless face. "'All right, gents,' said Billabin, talking, "'is my guest—sorry, Bolkonsky, is my guest in this house and in Brunn itself. I want us to show him a good time, as much as possible, with the best this place has to offer. It would be way easier if we were in Vienna, but here, in this Moravian hellhole, it's a bit harder, so I'll need you all to help.' Let's show him the attractions of Brunn. You sort out a theatre trip. I'll take care of society, and Ippolit, obviously you're in charge of the women. We've got to take him to see Amelie. She's hot as balls, said one of the lads, kissing his fingertips. In general, we've got to turn this bloodthirsty warrior into more humane interests, said Bilibin. I'm afraid I don't have time to appreciate your hospitality, gents. It's already time for me to go, replied Prince Andrei, looking at his watch. "'Where to?' "'To the Emperor.' "'Oh, oh, oh!' "'Well, au revoir, Bolkonski. Au revoir, Prince. Come back for an early dinner,' cried several voices. "'We'll take care of you.' "'When you speak to the Emperor, be sure to compliment the way he, he the way provisions have been supplied and the routes chosen.' "'I'd love to, but considering the facts, I don't think I can,' replied Bolkonski, smiling. "'Well, anyway, just talk as much as you can. He loves having an audience, but doesn't like talking, and he's shit at it. You'll see.' Alright, there you go, there's that chapter for you, all done. Thanks for listening, I'll see you tomorrow.